Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Today is the third message in our series on joy. And uh, so once again, I want to ask this, this question, what do we mean by joy? And we've asked it two other weeks and so forth, but and when we say joy, we mostly, as Westerners, talk about a feeling. But the Hebrew word for joy, and that carries over into the Greek, the New Testament, the word joy, if the joy is unexpressed, in other words, if there's no behavior associated with the feeling, is not biblically joy, which is interesting. Uh, we have a, a Messianic synagogue over here going up in, in uh, Makunji, and the name of it is Beit Simkah which means house of joy. Simcha is, is joy in Hebrew. And, and they're well aware that if there's nothing expressed, it's not a house of joy. And so why is that? Well, if we express the joy, it says something about the, the source of the joy, right? In other words, joy, is a, if it's expressed, is an authenticating kind of thing. So I call this message the joy of authentication. And I'm going to develop that just a little bit in a second. It's kind of like this. If you see a husband and wife coming out of their wedding, out of the church, and she's got her garb on with her flowers, and he's got his tux on, and they're coming out, and they're smiling like crazy. It's they're expressing joy at the seal of their love that they've just committed into the, you know, before the Lord and before the Lord's people. That's an expression of joy. You know, now, if they're not smiling, we got some problems. But anyway, uh, or joy could just be something simple. It could be just sim- as simple as a, as a Yahoo, because your team just made an interception, you know, when you stand up. I remember one time Kent Martin had a little party, and it was the year that Penn State did the, the national championship. I think they only did it once where it was in dis- not disputed. And so we're sitting there, and there was, I can't remember the score, but it was like touch and go, touch and go, touch and go. And there was this guy in the room who came to church. And like whenever we would do worship, he, w- he would sit there, and he was absolutely expressionless. And I thought, well, maybe he just has an, an EQ problem, you know, an emotional quotient problem, you know, because he just never expressed anything. But right in the, in the fourth quarter, where the opposing team to Penn State, I don't even remember who it was, was marching down the field. The quarterback for the opposing team throws it, and one of the Penn State players made this incredible interception. Like it was, it saved the day. This guy who never did anything that I've ever seen got up and went, yes, yes, and had a Holy Ghost experience right there in the room. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> see, that was joy. Now, I, from that point on, I'm trying to figure out, how do we get that into the church? You know? And one of the things for guys, one of the things really interesting is, why is that okay to do that for a guy at a football game, yeah? But why isn't it okay for a guy to do that in church, yeah? What's the deal? What's, what's the thing? So this is thing. So these behaviors kind of express joy. One of the other functions of joy and one of the reasons that joy needs to be expressed, as I said, is that joy authenticates, and our joy in church authenticates our relationship with God. 
It authenticates what the Lord did for us, yeah? It's kind of like if I kiss my little girl, when my little girls aren't little anymore, or my little granddaughter, I could say that. I, I, you know, I'm authenticating, it's a behavior that authenticates the fact that she is my joy. Yeah. Even if they don't like to be kissed by a fat old grandpa. But, but watch this, smiles and frowns aren't the only behaviors that express joy. There are other behaviors that are just as important. And so I want to look at that this morning. This morning when I had that prophetic word about us being the delight of God, that's from Zephaniah, Zephaniah 3.17. God says, you know, let not your hands grow weak because the Lord your God is in your midst. He's a warrior who gives you victory. Then he says this, I, I will rejoice with you in singing. I will renew you with my love. As on a day of festival, you know, I will dance. The whole idea of God expressing joy. God having a party over who we are as an expression of joy. That's pretty cool, huh? That's, that's worth looking at. Now, here's this passage in Philippians where Paul is in, he's got problems in the church in Rome. He's in a jail in Rome. The, the Jewish community is up, upset with him over the, the administration of the gospel. The Gentiles want to kill him over the administration of the gospel. He's under house arrest at his own expense. You know, you, you realize if you go to jail in a lot of countries, you have to pay for being there or you die. Huh? I mean, that's still true today. Uh, in other words, if, if, if you go to jail in a lot of countries in West Africa, if your family doesn't feed you, they'll let you starve to death. Huh? And the same thing held true in Rome. So he was under house arrest for probably two years at his own expense. So he's there, and, you know, he, he's, you know he, he's kind of languishing in jail, and he needs to know that his life is authenticated. So he writes to the Philippian church, and he says to them, your joy, what you do, the way you live, the behavior that you express is a consequence of joy, authenticates who I am and what I'm doing right now for the sake of the gospel. So let's look at that passage. Can we look at it just a little bit? And I'll do a, a running commentary. Okay, it's Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Okay, so I'm going to do the running commentary. Paul says, therefore, and so this is what the therefore is therefore. Paul has told just previously told the Philippians that Jesus emptied himself as and as a, just emptied himself and and became one of us and as a result of doing that he's exalted above all he gave of himself he he gave of himself to serve us and Paul is now telling us or the Philippians how we can follow Jesus example and that we should give of ourselves so he says therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. And then he says something really interesting. He says, work. But wait a second. Paul said in Ephesians, we're saved by grace, not by works. But here he says, work out your own salvation. What does that mean? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Wow, a lot of work here. Both to will and to work his good ple pleasure. Wow. So fear and trembling. See, there's a gravitas or a seriousness to being saved by grace that needs to be reflected in 
the way we work. That is the way that we give of ourselves to God, to one another, to a lost world. In verse 14, he says, do all these things without grumbling or disputing. Some translations say without grumbling or complaining. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I would suspect that in, in a classical way, no one in Philippi was blameless. No one in Philippi was perfect as it were, as it were. But Paul says that perfection can be if you will, projected, who I, who I intend you to be can be projected, if you will serve with an attitude of joy in the midst of a crooked and, gener- and, and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And our perspective of ourselves really gets disjointed, right? Now, this, this phrase, crooked and twisted generation, is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 32, 4, 5, And that's where God is describing the behavior of the Israelites in the desert who are grumbling and complaining about themselves, the lack of onions and leeks, having left Egypt. They're complaining about Moses. They're complaining about the other leaders. They're complaining about no, not enough water. And, and what's interesting here is God saying, you know, when you do that, I feel like you're grumbling and complaining about me. Huh? Verse 16, he says, he says, don't, don't do that. He says, hold fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is Paul. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad. That word glad in Greek means joyous. I have joy. Even if I'm going to die, I will be joyous because of who you are and what you're doing in Christ, right? So he says, and I rejoice with you all. Okay, so likewise, also, you must be joyous, or glad it's translated in the ESV, and rejoice, have joy with me. Okay, so this is what I want to say this morning. To authenticate someone or something is to validate or to present a guarantee to validate or present a guarantee of what you're authenticating. If I, if I, if I say I have this great marriage with my wife, then, then her behavior, the way she disposes herself, can tell you whether that's authentic or true or not. Huh? I mean, that's why Paul says, it's interesting, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says the, the, the wife is the glory of her husband. In other words, you, you better be able to interact with her and know whether I'm a jerk or not. Yeah. yeah, it's that kind of a thing. So the experience and expression of joy authenticates what causes me to be joyous. And Paul is saying that someone who's struggling with the reality of the gospel, or somebody who's struggling with, with the reality of who Jesus is and what he did for us, uh, needs to be able to verify the truth of the gospel by interacting with us. Christians display something to a lost world. So we should behave like who we claim we are in Christ. Now, this is why the core value of this church, NC4, is authenticity. Uh, you know, we want to be authentic. We're not fancy. We're not, 
We don't do a lot of production. We don't do those kinds of things, but and sometimes we have the resources to do those kinds of things. Sometimes we don't. We're not perfect. We're not the greatest church in the Lehigh Valley. We love the other churches and so forth. But one thing we can do, every one of us is served with joy. We can be joyous. Huh? I mean, it's, it's, it's something that we can do that God will take and use that delight to, to just grow. Not only our, us, and, but the church. And this is why moral and ethical failure, this is really interesting. This is why moral and ethical failure on the part of the church, especially leaders in the church, is so such a desperate issue. Because, you see, the issue isn't that if, if, if I don't behave myself and I fall into disrepute or sin or something like that, it certainly is a tragedy as far as y'all are concerned. But what does it look like in terms of the world? Last 10 years, it's the evangelical church, not only the, the, the historical churches, the evangelical church over the last 10 years has been vilified in the media. Have you noticed? And I just think it's so tragic. And maybe... It's that we don't understand the importance of our deportment before a lost world. Way back when, 30 years ago, there was a major national figure who, who was leading and was discovered to be, have been, uh, he was on television and, you know, all that stuff. And uh, one of the televangelists, and I don't mention, we don't mention names from pulpit here. But anyway, he, he was discovered, okay? And so... So he, they had this television show where he repented. And it was on a Sunday night, I remember. He repented to his wife, which is appropriate. He repent, repented to the church, which is thoroughly appropriate. Repented to the media. Repented to his staff. Repented to his children. And, and, and we're watching. And then he got a standing ovation for repenting. <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah? And... And then, you know, and then to give a standing ovation, then the show went off, and I said to Trisha, I said, what about the prostitute? I mean, if anybody deserved him asking forgiveness, it would be her. I mean, she was the vulnerable one in the whole process. Not the church, not, she was more vulnerable in the eyes of God than the church, his wife, his kids, you know, as vulnerable as they are. Are you there? She was the one who's going to hell if something doesn't happen to, 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 to bring saving grace into her life. Everybody else, the issue was settled. They had to forgive, but she was presented with, with a total anomaly as far as who she understood Jesus to be and who she understood the church to be. And so our deportment, that is our joy. And the joy with which we serve is incredibly important the joy with which we treat one another. I mean, it's incredibly important to a lost world. And it's not that we're supposed to act like we're joyous. It's that we got to be joyous. Huh? And that's a matter of prayer, deportment, understanding the delight of God for us that comes consequent to us being his children born again in Christ. It's, 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 it's amazing stuff. Okay, where was I here? So here, now here's the great irony that I just pointed out kind of. Paul in Ephesians says, by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by work. Most of us as evangelicals can quote that. We did not, it's not as if we're cooperating with God and God is meeting us halfway to save us, right? 
I mean, he did the whole deal. But here we have this, this anomaly because Paul uses the word work here three times in two verses. Work, work, work. And more than that, he tells us our salvation involves work in some way. And now, listen, here's, here's what he's saying here. The attitude with which we work, that is serve God and serve one another, is our authentication of all that God has done for us in saving us. I want to say that again because it's a little complex. Okay. The attitude with which we work. In other words, oh, I've got to do Sunday school. I got Sunday school today. Ooh. And down we go, you know. That, that takes the sacrifice and the joy out of everything that we're doing. Okay. The attitude with which we work, that is how we serve God and one another and even the lost, is our authentication of all that God has done for us in the first place. That's the way work works. Huh? And, and the fact that we serve and, and the attitude with which we serve God and one another, the, the fact is that it needs to be joyous. And if we're saved, well, then we're going to work. But we're not going to work to be saved. Okay? So we serve God and each other in a lost world. We do it joyously. Now, the world says, well, I'll do it, but I don't have to like it. How many have said that? Now, I said that about going to Peru, <laughs> the truth be known, before I went, all right? I'll do it, but I don't have to like it. But Paul says, no, 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 no. You have to do it, and you have to like it. <laughs> That's the difference between us and the world. So why then does Paul say, well, gee, look, Jesus just came to me. Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. Well, going to the cross was anything but joy, but he knew the joy would be the eventuality. And the joy is his delight in you and I sitting right here today. Okay. Why does Paul say that God works in us both to will and to work according to his pleasure? I believe that there are times when we have to submit our wills to God in order to see happen what he wants to accomplish in life, in the world, and in us. Okay. You know, in other words, <laughs> we have to ask God for his will, and then we submit our wills to his will. Well, why is that? Well, I'll tell you. It's, it's an old adage. Almost all work involves some real work. Huh? Anybody ever have a job? I got the, I got the perfect job. And then six months later, oh, man, it's not as perfect as I thought it was. See, all the stuff about loving our jobs is true because we want to know that how we spend our, our energy and our time and the investment of our emotional lives. We want to know it's worth it. But at the end of the day, whatever you do for work is going to end up being work now and then. Huh? I just want to be a pastor. Really? <laughs> Young people don't say that today. They did 30 years ago. Okay, every job is laced with tasks that someone does not want to do. But there's still tasks that need to be done. Now, any attempt we make at really accomplishing something in the world or for God is going to involve doing that kind of thing. It's going to pressing through, we call it, breaking through. Nelson Mandela said that the things that are matter seem always impossible until you get them done. That's a brilliant quote. You know. What are you, 20 years in Robben Island prison? South Africa. That's a brilliant quote. Okay. 
some of the most effective things that I've done in my life, I had to ask God to give me the will to do them. Okay, I, I just said this thing about, about Peru. I want to explain that a little bit, just in case the team thinks I didn't enjoy you guys. I, I really, really did. So here's the principle. It's my attitude that transforms a work into joyful or joyous service. So like, okay, I'm like, I'm 74 years old, right? And so we're preparing for this trip. We're having meetings at our house. A team's coming. And, and all, all the team is there and so forth. And I'm thinking to myself, how did I get into this? <laughs> I really am. Cause I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, I've been here. I've been, to, I've been to this on this mission before. It's going to be two days in. It's going to be on the way back. It's going to be 30 hours with no sleep. You know, you know, like I said, if something goes wrong, just dump me in the Amazon. I'll end up in Brazil, you know, and, and I, I'm just lazy. You know, I went, just went through retirement. And, and uh, I left retirement. May 1st was my retirement. By the way, I'm going to say it again. Thank you for the honor. I, I don't even have words, but thank you, thank you. So now I'm a grandpa here. And so, so anyway, May 1st, May 1st was my retirement date. Then I, I went to Houston and preached, went to Dallas and preached, went to, came home. Where we went to Switzerland, and we, Switzerland, England. Cornwall, came home again, went to South Carolina, North Carolina, came home. What else? Celebration, New York State. Oh, New York State, Finger Lakes, and the celebration. Uh, all that, like within two months, I was tired. Yeah. And, and, and so there was other stuff too, and I can't even remember what it was. And so I'm thinking, I, I just want to play golf. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm absolutely honest. You know, but I'm authentic, you know. And here I'm going to get on a plane and go to, you know, Peru. So anyway, so, but I adjusted my attitude, prayed, you know, started to, you know, get pumped a little bit and so forth. The team was so good. And so we're on our way, and it just turned out to be this wonderful experience. So, so, do you have that picture? Is there a picture on here that you can put up? Yeah, that's Eric and I. The guy on the right is Jesus. The guy on the left is... <laughs> that, that, that's Eric and I. And Eric is a, was our team leader. And this guy that we're baptizing is a Shawi Indian or indigenous man. His name is Hamilton. They, take, they tend to take Western names. They have their own indigenous names. Hmm? Well, Franklin wasn't Hamilton. Franklin. Wrong president. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so this guy is Franklin. That's right. Thanks, Trish. Uh, Franklin wasn't a president. Anyway, so this is my this is how my ADHD works. Okay, so so is so is Franklin. Now Franklin, I mean, as he's coming up out of the water, I, I've been involved in baptizing hundreds of people. I baptized in the Jordan, you know, in, in Israel. I have never seen someone come up out of the water as absolutely emotionally transformed as this gentleman was. I mean, this, this particular culture, like the indigenous cultures in the U.S. and Canada, are stoic, completely stoic. They're not Hispanic at all. Hispanic culture is very emotive. This culture is extremely... You can't read them at all. And this guy came. He had, he had chronic headaches, chronic digestive problems. He wasn't supposed to come. He came downriver 12 
12 hours to get to where we were downriver. And, and we prayed for him. He had been involved in animistic religion and shamans and stuff. And he came to Christ. We prayed for deliverance. He gave his life to Jesus. And when he came up out of that water, I couldn't believe he wanted to be baptized. He came up out of that water. He was absolutely beside himself. He had to go over and just be alone. You know, he had to get, get away. He was absolutely beside himself. And I remember thinking, if nothing else happened on this trip that was worth every penny we spent to get, the whole team, every penny we spent to get there. There's lots more that happened. But this was the one, this is like the emblem of what it means to have joy consequent to giving of yourself to God. And, you know, I, I just was overtaken. But it's joy that transfers the work we do, or it's just that transforms the work we do into what's really sacrifice. All right. So, so like, over the course of my pastoral years, I could name, a, you know, a hundred times something happened that I had to do what I wanted to do, what I didn't want to do. And, you know, whether it's shoveling the snow at Linden Street or whether it's Whatever it might be, one day, one day, about 30 years ago, we had a, a youth leader, you know, and he quit five days before the youth retreat. We had a big youth group at the time, and there was no one else to take the youth, the youth retreat. So I had to take the youth retreat. I, I was totally underwhelmed. You know, when my kids found out I was going to take the youth retreat up to Blue Mountain, they all cried. <laughs> they were teenagers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Then I cried. <laughs> but I went up and I just had to, you know, I had to change my attitude, you know, service with joy. And so that, that ended up being a retreat. My daughter, Danielle, was transformed consequent to that retreat. But the biggest thing was, was a gal by the name of Liz Ackerman was transformed at that retreat. Now she's a pastor's, she's one of the pastors up at Erie Christian Fellowship. She's a tremendous leader in the body of Christ. You know, what if, what if my attitude stunk? You know, now I'm not saying, but we do cooperate with God. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. Right, confrontations. I hate confrontations. But if you're in leadership, you're going to do, you're going to confront people. I just, there's no way around it. You know, I hate being that guy, but you got to be that guy if you're in leadership. Anybody who's in leadership in business knows that kind of thing. Okay, so it's not surprising that Paul has to say to the church, do these things without grumbling and complaining. The word grumbling here means to be secretly whispering your dissatisfaction about the way things are going to everyone except those who need to hear it. (laughs) Yeah, and then the word complaining or disputing means, complaining means to generate dissension and doubt by, by, you know, Disseminating all that to others around you, that kind of thing. One of the things that has surprised me in my years as a pastor, not often, but it has occurred, is that the phenomenon of someone going out and doing a job, a church job, really, really well. But when they do the job really, really well, there's a sourness about them. In other words, there's a dissatisfaction. And I come to realize that they did the job so that they would either receive promotion or they would some species of honor that they didn't get or, or, or some sense of self 
worth or significance that wasn't forthcoming. And I realized that they really never did the thing in joy to begin with, and they missed the reward that joy brings. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just kind of amazing. It's that kind of thing. Okay, I want to move along. I don't want to be late. Three things that I can control in my walk are my faith, my heart, attitude, and my effort. So we work in the service of the Lord not to gain our salvation, but to authenticate it. And in a twisted generation, that looks different to people. My first job out of college, I worked in a, a bank and I was, I was, I did, I had the job of reconciling all the, the offices in the bank at the end of the day. So all the numbers would come in and I had to do all the reconciliation. It was done by computer. We had to run these programs. In those days, you had these, most of you won't remember, we had these big tape machines. You know, some of you remember that, you know, and they were, they were invented by the devil. And, 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 and you'd put the tape up and sometimes the tape would break. They had vacuum to, and you had to do the whole job over. And it was a harrowing day before a holiday. I'd been there for about a year and, and, and I put the tape up and it broke. The, the thing broke and went, whoa, you could hear this. You know, it was kind of one, it was kind of like in Jaws, you know, how, how Captain Quick goes into the, into the shark. That was me, you know, it was kind of like that. And, and so, so I'm standing there and I said, oh, shoot. Only I didn't say shoot. And, 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 uh, and this guy, this guy, his name was Blaine. He comes up to me. He said, it was really funny. It's like, I got the thing working again and I knew I'm going to be there hours. And, and I, and I, and he said, you know, he said, I've watched you for the whole year and I've never seen you complain. I've never seen you go after anybody. I've never seen you. He said, that's the first time I've seen you really react to your own frustration and disappointment. And he said, he said, I just wanted you to know that. And I thought, oh, Lord Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You know, I just thought I never knew, realized somebody had their eyes on me like that. I was able to lead a number of people to the Lord in that department. It was really good. And I, I'm, not a, I'm not an evangelistic kind of guy. It was just, so joy does something. You know, it, it tells a tale that a lot of words can't tell. All right. Uh, this is the last thing. Considering what Paul has to say here, there's one last, I call it a quirk, in the body of Christ that I've watched over the years. Not only in this church, but all the churches I've ministered into. It has to do with people who sit on their gifts and talents. Now, I've always understood that gifts that God has gifted me with were to be given away, usually with, for the church and whether teaching or music or prophecy, whatever, even if I use them in the civil arena, in the secular arena somehow, I, I gotta, it's gotta be given here or through here, even to the lost. It's gotta, it's gotta have access, you know. But I believe that the target of those gifts is to be the church, at least primarily. But watch this. The development of those gifts and the release has everything to do with having a giving heart toward God. My brothers and sisters, lost. So there's this, there's this, it's, this is not about money because you can apply it to money. Usually it's applied to money. But Proverbs eleven twenty four says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give or she should give 
and only suffers want. Now, I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about all the other stuff, all the other behavior. So why would Christians sit upon a gift? Paul states in 1 Corinthians 12, what does he say? Every gift and talent we have is given to us for the common good of the church. That's what he says. Now, he's talking about a lot of spiritual gifts there, but there's other gifts. There's leadership, administration. There's all kinds of other gifts. And and, uh, so Paul's saying our gifts are meant for one another, and they can become works of joy, sources of joy in our lives. So I thought about this, and I was thinking about it this morning. Why, why, why do people sit on their gifts? And I don't think it's malicious. I really don't. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I think it's more like this. I think it's, uh, it's more like people don't want to commit to something because they think there might be something else that's better. Is that, it's like when, it's like people, like certain people watch TV and change channels all night because they don't know what's, want to know what's on TV. They want to know what else is on TV. Yeah. Are you there? And and I just think that's really interesting because there's a principle. I wrote it down this morning over coffee. What there is leads to what else there is. In other words, if you think, well, I'm not going to teach Sunday school because I'm destined to teach millions, you know, whatever. Okay, that's an exaggeration. I get that. But 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 the truth is, it might be that if you don't teach Sunday school, you never get teach the millions, you know. It's this idea of use. So what there is always leads to what else there is. It's that kind of thing. I felt like I needed to close with that this morning because there's people you're watching online, people here, and I just wonder if some of us are sitting on something that needs expression and needs joyful expression. And that's kind of the way I felt I wanted to close this morning. I want to talk about a little bit the joy that was expressed by the Peru team Eleanor Witt. Eleanor, this woman speaks, speaks some halting Spanish. She encountered everybody on the planet down there with joy. And, and I mean, and she communicated. I mean, I, it was a linguist's pleasure to watch some, cause see, here's the deal. If you want to, if there's two things you, if you want to do, there's two things on earth that if you want to do them, you have to be resigned to really look stupid. One, one is to play golf, and the other is to learn a language. There's no way you can learn a language without looking dumb. And, 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 you know, and so most people halt. They don't, you know, get it. Because you have to get into the community. Do it. And, and Eleanor just was giving of herself everywhere. I was just flabbergasted. And, and I could see the joy. I mean, joy was everywhere. <laughs> Trisha, we, we, were to, we were at a youth meeting. The last night was the youth meeting. And Tr- Trisha and Lois, where's Lois? Is Lois here? She, there's, Trisha and Lo- Lois go up there to dance, okay? With all, the, just tons of youth all around. And like, I'm watching them walk, and it's a real rocky song, you know, boom, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, <laughs> And like all of the indigenous people and most of the, even the mosquitoes are all really short people. Like they come up to here, you know, and Trisha loves all these little people. And, and, and there's these two teenage girls behind me. Okay. And I got to, how do they say it in Spanish? 
Las gigantes están bailando. They're saying, the giants have gone up to dance. You know, <laughs> that's what they said. <laughs> that's what they said. The giants have gone up to dance. <laughs> and it was so great. And we got back to the room. I said to Trisha, Baya, baya, la bamba. You know, <laughs> but that's you know joy. Part of joy is fun. Yeah, I mean God does this stuff and translates it into making you feel like it's worthwhile. Not always, but 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 most of the time. All right. So so what a pray. For, can we stand? <laughs> Las gigantes. All right. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for the body of Christ. I'm going to, yeah, look, we could get the musicians up. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, in all of our fellowship, you have given us, Lord God, this, these great resources. Would you give us the grace to make sure we don't squander them? Lord, that whatever you've given us to do, that we do joyfully with. Lord, that we get in on the adventure. What is it Pastor Ian says? Uh, get in the game, everybody in the game. Well, Lord, I pray not... Lord, I did not want, you know I didn't want this to be some crazy message on volunteerism. That's not what this is. This is, is how to, to, to resource one another, resource the lost, God, to do what you created us to do and to see joy everywhere. Because for the joy that was set before Jesus, he died for us. So Lord, I pray for an infusion of joy in this church, both Mukunji and Bethlehem, Lord. Smiles on people's faces, laughter, and a sense that we were born for this. So, Lord, if there's anyone with an earshot online or anyone here who is sitting on something, they know they shouldn't be sitting on it, Lord, give them expression. Please, Lord, just give them expression. Give them joy in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning, amen. If you're here this morning or on, on listening online, gave a, a little bit of an altar call. If you don't know Jesus, all you have to do is say, Lord, Lord, I want to be with you when you come into your kingdom. He's in his kingdom. I want to be with you, Lord. I need you, Lord. And uh, if that's you, all you have to do is say that to him. Tell him that you're sorry for your sins and you want to follow him. And the deal is done. It's just this great coming to Jesus. If that's you, you can contact. If you're online, should be an online pastor on. You can contact him. If you're here, come up and see Trish and I or probably anybody else. And we'd love to pray with you. And that would be a joy. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.